Welcome to the Soul Health Mentor Podcast with Nadia Kraus. Learn how to move your awareness out of your mind and into your heart so you can embody your divinity, experience joyous peace of mind, and create your most vibrant life by opening to receive your soul's sacred medicine. Hello, beautiful soul. Hello, strong heart. Hello, brilliant listener. In this week's Soul Health Mentor podcast, I have had the pleasure to interview urban farmer Greg Peterson on how he became an urban farmer and how he knew at age eight what he was here for. Yet, life took him to where he is today in a roundabout way. What I really loved about talking to Greg is that I was able to ask him all these questions that I had when it comes to gardening. Because a secret heart's wish of mine is to start gardening, to start growing plants, herbs, vegetables, fruits, but really feeling quite overwhelmed and not knowing where to start. So he was really, really patient with me and he answered all my questions and it felt really, really good. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Greg. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Soul Health Mentor. I am really very, very grateful today to be talking to Farmer Greg, and there is a personal reason behind that. So as you know, I'm originally from Germany and have been living in the States for eight years now. And when I moved back to the States, well, me, my husband moved back to the States and I came with my husband, that I was very culture shocked and I was also very food shocked. I was eating food and it wasn't tasting like I'm used to and it wasn't filling my body with the nutrients that I'm used to and I just couldn't find any answers. So I'm very grateful and excited to be able to ask those questions. Hello Greg, how are you today? Fantastic, I'm so happy to be here with you. I am so looking forward to asking you all the questions that have been on my heart for the longest time. Mm. And the first question, though, how did you become Farmer Greg? Well, it was, uh, and I I call it a gift and a curse. Uh, I think it was gifted at a very young age with me. I was fascinated prior to 10 years old with fish aquariums. And so I, by the time I was nine or 10 years old, I had my first fish aquarium. I think I bought, bought it with money that I earned walking dogs. Uh, and then I got a paper route and I had more money so I could get a bigger fish aquarium. And before long, I was looking at the whole process of how fish got raised for food for people to eat. And sometime in the eighth grade, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. This was 1974. Wow. And wow, wow. Yeah. And fast forward a couple of years to 1981, I had to, I was participating in 
the Arizona Aquaculture Association. I know it sounds funny growing fish in the desert, but there were fish farms in the desert and we went and visited one of the fish farms in the desert. And when you raise fish, I'm pretty much a vegetarian now, but when you raise fish, there's when you harvest the fish and you know cut the meat off of the fish, you have about 30% meat and about 70% waste product that isn't, that isn't consumed by humans. And they were actually throwing that away. Mm. So in 1981, I was 21 years old and I was looking at that process thinking, oh my gosh, there's got to be a better way. <clears throat> so I designed on paper, I still have these documents, I designed on paper what we would now call a regenerative fish farm. This was a fish farm where everything got used and nothing was wasted. Then we, if we transform or transfer ourselves 10 years into the future, in 1991, I'd spent the last prior decade you know, really looking at our food system just from afar and reading news accounts. Remember, this is pre-internet. So, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of information. Um, but a, a few things happened for me in 1991 that, and I was 30 years old, that really transformed my life. What I find really fascinating mm -hmm. is that because the message of Soul Health Mentor is out of your mind and into your heart to really come into that space of mm. what I call divine mind, which is, the, which is neutral. It's the capacity to understand and act. And if you think about intuition, it is yes. also the capacity to understand and act. And you know, but you don't know why you know. And you knew at eight years, but you didn't know why you knew, right? Exactly. And well, I, I think to a certain extent, even at 40, I didn't know, but I knew that this was what I was supposed to be doing, but I didn't know why. Yes. Maybe at, maybe at 30. And it is something that is, is the capacity of the heart and the capacity of intuition to just act on the things you know, but you don't know why you know. Mm -hmm. So I am um, very interested to learn how you got here and it took time and it sounds like it happened in stages and it also mm -hmm. sound like it sounded like the rational mind was going no I don't want to do that why should I do that but but the intuition was saying something different could you share a little bit about that yeah and actually interesting you should say it that way <clears throat> the rational mind in my family was my mom and dad's conversation and so I started my first business when I was 15 years old. I used to clean, service, and build fish ponds in Phoenix. And I did that as, as part of, and as part of that, I created backyard fish ponds for people, for them to grow their own food. Yeah. And I was doing that at like 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. And by the time I was 30, 1991, um, you know, I, was, I wasn't making lots of money. I was happy and I was doing what I wanted to be doing in the world around all of this. And I had a lot of pushback from my parents about going out and getting a real job. Uh. And so there was that 
there's that dichotomy of do I buy into their conversation or do I stay true to my heart? Yes. And during that period of time, I, I actually tried to get away from this conversation, uh, but it kept, come, it kept pulling me back. From about 1986 to about 2004, I actually was in technology. I had uh, several multiple technology companies that I ran, and, but I never got far away from gardening. That was always and part of your life, gardening. Exactly. Yeah, gardening. And um, in 1989, I bought the home where I lived for 32 years in Phoenix, and the, it became the urban farm. Uh, the little uh, ebook on the front page of my website talks about how it became an environmental showcase home in Phoenix. And that started in 1989 while I was working in technology. But 91 was a powerful year for me. I learned a lot. And going to your question of not knowing what I don't know, but being aware that I don't know what I don't know. Because, you know, a 30-year-old could be, oh, well, I, you know, I know everything in the world. And I, I still, at 60 years old, it's like, I, I've got a curious mind. I just moved 1,900 miles from Phoenix, Arizona, which is in the middle of a desert, to Asheville, North Carolina, which is in the middle of a very old growth forest. Yes. It's a way different place to live. And I've Actually, I'm engaging with people here about the differences because I don't know what that plant is outside my window. If so I was learn. sitting in Phoenix, I could tell you exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, making making a space to have it be okay that you don't know and is really even though you don't know, it's okay to follow your heart. Exactly. And so coming out of many decades of my parents saying to me, Greg, when are you going to get a real job? And me saying, you know what? A real job in your, in your world isn't what I want to be doing. What I want to be doing is what's in my heart. And it always led me back to food and teaching people about food. And yes. the pivotal year of my life was halfway through my life. I'm 61 now. This was when I was 30. In 1991, four things happened. I read a book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. You'll either love it or you'll hate it. Either way, it will change your life and how you look at food forever. It's a conversation between a gorilla and a man. And the gorilla is the teacher. And it outlines in a fiction book the very real way that we as humans over the past 10,000 years have gone away from nature and away from local food. Yes, that's the problem, isn't it? It is. Uh, the second thing that happened in 1991 is I discovered something called permaculture. Permaculture is, I like to define it as the art and science of working with nature. How do we work in the flow of nature rather yeah. than against nature? Because we human beings think we know how to do it better than nature, right? So permaculture is working with nature? Yes. And it's, is that the, what you did in your home in Arizona? You created yes. a garden, you call it a food forest, don't you? Yes, I do. So could you tell us 
more about so there's two questions that i have i have hold this on is before me- we go there before we yes. go there there's two really more two more important things that i want to share with you yeah yeah 1991 and don't forget your question um the third thing that happened for me so i i um read ishmael i learned about permaculture the third thing that happened for me was i i did a landmark education workshop called the advanced course where they have you look into your heart and create your vision for your life. Mm, that's nice. I created my vision, which I still do every single day, 31 years later. That's amazing. I am the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. Powerful. It is. Powerful. It is. Powerful. So now 91 is we're not done yet. A friend of mine goes to the South Pacific on a sailboat in 1991. Now, remember... I read Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, where he talks about 5,000 years ago, food used to be free. And then we locked up the food. This friend of mine goes to the South Pacific looking and they anchor at an island looking for a grocery store. And the people just look at them and say, go pick your own. And he comes, he comes back to Phoenix and he shares it with me and it hits me like a ton of bricks. There are still places on the planet where food is free. Yes. And there's this massive amount of abundance that come can come out of gardens and growing food because nature knows no boundaries about abundance. It is true. When you have a garden, uh, you have to give it to your na- like you have to give so much to your neighbors because right? the things go bad if you don't. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so anyway, you- that was really the, the shift point of my life is 1991. I was 30 years old and it's like it hit me like a freight train. And that's what I've been doing ever since. That is a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it gives me context to, and the listener context to why you're doing what you're doing. And now I would love to be educated by you as a European coming mm-hmm. to the States and, mm-hmm. and just kind of feeling in my body that there's so much, so many toxins, I could feel it, but I didn't know what hit me. I also didn't understand why the food that I'm buying in the supermarket doesn't taste like anything. Could you explain the US food system to me and to our <laughs> listeners in, in the most simplest of ways, if in, possible? In, in the next three minutes, right? <laughs> Yes. This is a two-year conversation, by the way. Um, it started in World War II, after World War II. And after World War II, this thing called the Green Revolution happened. And the green, and it's not the green that we talk about today. It's the really the uh, growing of food revolution. They had all of these chemicals that were left over from making bombs. Oh boy. And they didn't know what to do with them. So they turned them into fertilizer. And this primarily nitrogen-based fertilizer made everything green and made it grow like mad. Mm. And so we have a history, we have a 70 year history in this country of putting massive amounts of chemicals into the land to make food grow. Wow. So what you part of what you're getting in this country is highly chemicalized polluted food. In fact, I I got a an email from a listener recently 
that it here it is right now is what's happening i was speechless with this email that i got from this listener and do you know what glyphosate is i've heard of it yes yeah, but i glyphosate, don't know what it is glyphosate is roundup roundup is glyphosate glyphosate yeah. is a chemical that kills weeds yeah and uh, the way that it kills weeds is that it it, it and this isn't the science answer here this is me paraphrasing, but basically it destroys the, the um, cell walls of the plants that are weeds. Wow. And then they need more chemicals to make the plants that we are growing not susceptible to glyphosate. So the email that I get from this listener was, Greg, tell me about glyphosate in rainwater. Wow, and what does that mean? And well, good question. Basically, glyphosate is a chemical to kill weeds. And my mind couldn't wrap how this chemical evaporates because when water evaporates, it leaves everything behind. It leaves the salts behind, it leaves everything behind. So I reached out to my uh, good friend, Jeffrey, um, at IRC, uh, Jeffrey Smith, he's the director of um, a company that, a nonprofit that works on getting glyphosate out of this country. And um, we're going to do a podcast. I'm going to get myself educated on how is glyphosate in rainwater. And the baffling piece for me was how does this chemical end up in the rainwater when rain comes from evaporative evaporated water on the planet and it's when water evaporates it's not supposed to pick up stuff and put it in the air so mm. that's a that's a piece of our challenge is, you gave me the answer though for me feeling that all these chemicals are entering into my body. I could just sense it yeah. because, because that is also out of your mind and into your heart. Wisdom activates your intuition, which activates your connection to your body and, and your intuitive senses. Yeah. And we are so denatured and now it makes sense what, what you shared. If I was eating polluted food Yeah. and I'm Absolutely. still eating polluted food. Yeah. I only eat organic. So what can we do if we wanted well, to? So let's hold on. There's, yes. there's, there's another side of this coin that I don't want to miss. Because uh, you said you're eating chemicalized food. But the other piece is, is you're eating food that didn't ripen on the plant. And there's this whole chemical reaction that goes into, into food when it ripens on the plant that makes it more nutritious and more tasty for you. And a lot of time what happens is, is that food is picked before it's ripe. Mm -hmm. And it is shipped 100, 1,000, 4,000 miles. And as it's being shipped, two things are happening. The amount of nutrition that was in it is 
declining. And then there's a huge environmental impact, which we won't even go into, of shipping food that far. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you buy a tomato or a peach at a grocery store and it was shipped a thousand miles, it had to be picked before it was ripe. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting that tomato in the grocery store. It ripened along the way, but didn't, it didn't ripen on the plant. It ripened off the plant. So it didn't have the same chemical reactions going into it that made it taste good. I picked a tomato off of one of my tomato plants yesterday. It tasted like candy. Yes. I see what you're saying now. Sweet and flavorful. So the two big things that you got going on with our food system of the taste that you're talking about Mm -hmm. is the amount of chemicals that are in it number one, and number two, that it was picked unripe. And I tell people this all the time, plant yourself a peach tree in your yard, grow yourself a peach, eat that peach at its peak of ripeness off of the tree, and you will never buy a store-bought peach again. Mm-hmm. So now I understand it. It's this, these foods filled with chemicals mm-hmm. and the origin, the history, was the war and leftover chemicals. Mm -hmm. And now I'm eating foods full of chemicals, but also eating food that was actually not ripe when it was picked and didn't have the chance to develop the flavor that it can develop when it's ripening on the plant. And so it really does sound like having your own garden is the way to go and you have done it in your home in Arizona and our listeners can actually find that ebook. Would you tell us how we can find it? Yeah. So if you go to urbanfarm.org, that's my website and it'll just pop up on the front page of the website and say, Hey, you want to download this free ebook? And it's, it's the story of how my third of an acre food forest. Oh, you asked me about a food forest. Mm -hmm. Um, Third of an acre food forest happened in Phoenix, Arizona. And Would you say it is doable for beginners like me and my husband or maybe beginners like the listeners? Absolutely. Absolutely. And how this is me now asking you as a beginner, how how would one start? Sometimes it's just the starting Mm -hmm. that that is overwhelming the mind. Yeah. The first thing that I tell people to do is the most expensive thing to buy in the grocery store are herbs and they're the easiest thing to grow. You can literally grow a basil plant on your windowsill in your house. Yes. I've done it before. And so grow something and be patient with yourself. I promise you that I've killed more plants than any of your listeners. I've been growing food for 45 years. I don't kill them on purpose, but it happens and it's okay. It's okay that it happens. You get better it's, with practice, right? Yeah. My, I'm, I have a podcast, Urban Farm Podcast. And one of the questions that I asked my listener, my uh, guests is tell me about a time you failed and how you, and what you learned from that failure. And that is to show people that everybody fails around gardening. Everybody fails 
and it's okay. And that's how we learn. So we've learned so much from you already. We've learned how you just always knew that you were meant to do what you do today. You knew that at eight years young, which is such a beautiful mm -hmm. story. And it's so, so important to hear because most of us knew. It's just we get deconditioned. And that was the story of mm -hmm. your parents, the deconditioning. No, you're, you know, get a real job, whatever. Right. And <laughs> we learned about the food system. And, and now I got an answer to what I was just feeling intuitively in my body. I kept asking, what is wrong with this place? That was my internal, mm. what, what is wrong with this place? Yeah. You've, you've answered where we can start, what we can do. We can go to your website, download your ebook, start with the herb garden, just start. It's just that start. first step, just start. Yep. Yep. Um, why do you call what you did in your home in Arizona, why do you call it a food forest? Well, let's go back to 1991 and that friend of mine that went to the South Pacific and, you know, just go pick your own in the forest mm. and building food forests is a process of looking at how a forest works and then starting to replicate that. And it never, it's never made sense to me that people would actually plant something in their yard in, in their business complex, in their office building, at the apartment complex. It's never made sense to me that people would plant things that they would have to nurture and take care of that wouldn't give you anything. Ah, I see what you're saying. So what if, and I'm not just talking about food, you know, you want to plant flowers and benefit, bring things to bring in beneficial insects and there's other things to do um, you know, in my house at, uh, in Phoenix, there was an ash tree in the backyard. Now, the ash tree didn't make any food, but it gave me bushels of leaves in the fall that became my compost that built the soil on my property. So building a food forest is looking at nature and, and how nature builds a forest and doing the same thing in your yard with food. I love that explanation. Thank you. Yeah. And you mentioned something that you used the leaves to build your soil. What does mm -hmm. that mean? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, so in a forest, nobody goes up and goes in and rakes up the leaves. True. And puts them in plastic bags and sends them off to a landfill to live in that plastic bag forever. Mm -hmm. In the forest, the leaves fall, the branches fall, a deer comes along and leaves some poop behind. And what happens over time is you get this thick, rich layer of amazing soil that grows things. Mm -hmm. So in permaculture, we look at natural systems and how these natural systems work. And a forest is a natural system that works. So if we look at a forest to see how it works, we can apply those same natural principles to our yard. Like, you know, don't throw away those leaves. They mm. make great mulch for next year, which in two years, that mulch will become soil. One of the best composts out there 
is leaf mulch compost. Leaves that fall down and, you know, become compost for the next year. Yeah, I love so. that. That makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, you and, bet. And we live, so we live in hot, sticky southwest Georgia, mm -hmm. where it gets really, really hot. And we don't water our grass because we just kind of, we are like, no, that's just, you know, let it silly. do its thing. It's silly. Exactly. But yeah. we, we do have some beautiful flowers out and we have some plants out, which the poor things, they need water every day. Do mm -hmm. you have a tip um, in regards to watering your garden? Uh, there, yeah, we have a, a whole series of classes that we give on watering your garden. And I've been growing food since 1976. I planted my first garden in 1976. Uh, and so I've experimented with many different things, including many different ways to water. And about 10, 12 years ago, one of my mentors says, Greg, do you know about drip tape? It's called drip tape? Drip tape. Oh. It is a product that is being used on farms, medium size and, and even some large farms to make them more water efficient. And the way that this drip tape works is um, the, you, you hook it up to your hose and there's a process to do that. You hook it up to their hose and everything in that drip tape system has to pressurize before it starts dripping. The problem with a lot of backyard irrigation systems is that they don't pressurize equally. So the plants at the beginning of the system get more water than the plants at the end of the system. Mm -hmm. And this particular stuff called drip tape fixes that. Um, and it's, it's, it's like Tinker Toys. You know what, you remember Tinker Toys? Um, this might be a cultural thing where I don't that remember because be <laughs> okay. I, I grew up in Germany. <laughs> Tinker, Tinker Toys are these little logs that you, uh, we just assembled them in a, a very logical engineering way and they made toys for us. Oh. Uh -huh. And putting together Drip tape is just doing that exact same thing. You put it together in a very logical way that then waters your entire garden. So and you could set it up once you start a vegetable garden, you could sit, set it up to be watering your vegetable garden as well? Automatically. Yep, exactly. Oh, that makes everything so much easier. It does. Yeah. It does. Even, you know, even living here uh, at my new place, I, I'm hand watering things. And it's like, oh, hold on you know, it's seven o'clock in the morning, I need to go out and hand, my, hand water my plants in the pots on the patio. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having an uh, automated system helps with that so much. Yes, thank you. I've learned so much from you. I'm going to just summarize just to make sure that I remember it. And also for our listeners, because I'm personally very interested. My husband and I have been talking about what I love that you said, how you said, start with a herb garden. We literally yeah. started there. We just planted. And my husband does better than me. I'll be real honest. He's, mm -hmm. he, he loves it. And so he planted some basil seeds. And the amazing thing is that uh. now they just 
that's the nature, the, the nature of nature. It's just abundance. We've had yep. basil for three years now and we planted it once. Right. Once. Exactly. And it's and it's just spreading. And now I'm already saying, oh my gosh, we have so much basil. I have to come up with things I can actually make. So I'm probably gonna make <laughs> basil pesto because oh, you, yes. you need so much basil for that. And yeah. so so you gave me a little bit of courage and confidence where I was like, okay, yeah. I can go to your website and I can download the ebook. I can educate myself. What you explain to us in regards to permaculture and what a food forest is that my whole body just resonated when you said that right. it was like it was like coming home because we used to be closer to nature and we do yep. have that that desire to return back to natural ways because we can just intrinsically feel that it's better for us so you've given me so much hope that i can start with a herb garden we can then do other things. There's even a watering system that, because I think that's the mind always goes there, right? The mind is like, it's so much work. I can't do it. I'm yeah. tired. I'm this. Um, but I really, really appreciate you. And I just wanted you to repeat your website one more time and also the name of your podcast. Perfect. It's uh, my website is urbanfarm.org. Um, I do have a free class that people can uh, sign up for at urbanfarmwater.com. It talks about that watering system that I talked about. Perfect. Um, yep. Yeah. And um, the third thing you wanted was? The podcast name. One oh, yes. Urban Farm Podcast. And what do you talk about on your podcast? I, uh, I interview people um, about their successes and failures and their stories to empower listeners to, oh, I could, I can really start growing food. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's a little bit like you have, yes, because I notice it with myself. I, I feel the desire. My husband and I both feel the desire, but then we get discouraged. Yeah. And, and so listening to your podcast could give us that courage and that nudge and that hearing other people's stories is so, it's actually very healing to hear. That is to, to hear the stories. Yeah, that is the whole point of the podcast. Thank you so much. And one last thing before we come to a close, and this is just what out of your mind and into your heart wisdom would you like to share with us in regards to gardening? There is this abundance in nature that is mind blowing. About a decade ago, I started looking at abundance and lack. So abundance is one side of the coin. Lack is the other side of the coin. And we human beings have this challenge that we think that we're lacking in so many places. And I believe that lack is a social construct that lives between our ears and when we look at nature, there is so much abundance, just like you mentioned your basil abundance of three years. Mm -hmm. So I challenge you to, when you get to a place of, oh my gosh, there's not enough or in any part of your life, think about nature and how nature has this amazing abundance ready for us to pick. 
Thank you. That is beautiful wisdom. And thank you so much for educating me and the listeners. And I do, I feel energized now. And I'm like, I can do this. We can do this. We can just, just start, right? That's the thing. Just start. Then I did my job today. Thank you, Greg. It was wonderful having you. you. Thank you for listening to the Soul Health Mentor Podcast with Nadia Kraus. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are playing. 